Hello and welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. My name is James. And I'm Drill Grizzik. Welcome to episode... 42. The answer to everything. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is the answer to everything. Or the answer to the greatest question. It sure is. So that was a pretty interesting, I guess, and random question um, that got answered. And I guess, what was the what was the point there? That What's the meaning of life? But you're, you haven't figured out what the question is, so the answer might not make any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like an answer to a math problem. (laughs) So I guess the question has to do with math. Yeah. So I didn't have a very exciting week this week. How about yourself? Um, I guess it depends on how you define exciting. It's kind of getting to be crunch time over at uh, uh, where I'm working. And so we're really been pretty busy. We had a couple of people by uh, on Friday Mm. uh, for some drinks and stuff. And that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's really crunch time. I mean, we're going to be putting some hours in over the weekend and uh, we have a Big presentation on Tuesday, and hopefully things go well. But um, yeah, it's been kind of some of that tension, I guess. Of uh, I don't know, you know, when you're you know when you're working as a team and you're kind of balancing um, technical debt with quality mm-hmm. code. Um, oh yeah, and with actually getting things delivered. Oh yeah, um, and you kind of know that if you're if you lean too far to one side, so that would be like if you're writing um, kind of quick code just to get things to work mm-hmm. and not properly testing, then you're really playing with fire and you're going to end up slowing yourself down yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the long run. But on the other hand, if you don't have everything properly set up to, to get you know all your integration tests, um, to get everything automated to do that, it can slow you down um, by days or maybe even weeks, depending on, uh, or at least hours. Or it could um, come back to bite you later. Or it could come back to bite you later, potentially, yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you have it half done, it's not really... Uh, it's half done. <laughs> it's not really usable yeah. either. Um, and so if you have to meet certain deadlines, so we're kind of feeling some of the stresses with that, yeah. um, which is, I think, a really good time to get to know your teammates. Oh, see how they act under pressure or... Yeah, and how we act and like interact with each other. I see. And I think that's been a really good experience so far mm. um, where I think we're really kind of bonding more and more as a... You know, they have about 10 developers. Um, yeah. So it's, a, it's a good size team, I think, but um, you really get to know each other. and Yeah. Yeah. See who uh, who panics and who, who keeps it cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or uh, I think I think that's one of the skills that I was forced to develop is like not only running a company, but also like building a project with you have the client's needs, mm-hmm. uh, your timeline, your budget, and the technical limit of what your knowledge might be. So. Mm. Uh, someone wants some insane like machine learning thing. I can't do that, right. so it's gonna be hard for me to like really deliver on something like that. Whereas like if they want a static site, cool, but the budget and the timeline for that is quite a bit different than some more advanced applications. So finding that balance is really tricky. Yeah. So an interesting question, I guess, I have for that is who would you have considered to be your customer in that case? I guess obviously the person paying you, but. Uh, let's say you're creating a web application for a client and the client wants this, 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 and you put it out there and you're getting all this user feedback by the user base of the app, mm-hmm. then who do you cater toward? I've I've said this a few times to some of our clients, depending on what they're making, but I'd say the client isn't you, it's who you're trying to sell to. Right. So like um, we've done, a f- we did a few Shopify sites. And so it wasn't about what they thought, the, how great the design was or uh, if the description was too short or too long, it was about, well, what do your, what do your clients need? Because uh, a marketing company and any kind of company that's building or providing a service uh, like like agencies are, they make money based on the return they get their customers or their clients. Mm-hmm. So that's how you judge the successful the success of a, of a car- marketing company is what the return they get for you is. And so our idea or our pitch to everyone was we 
would be bad at our jobs if you didn't make money off of our work. Mm -hmm. That's what you're asking for. You're asking us to build you something to make money off of. Mm -hmm. That's really all we're trying to do for them. And they hopefully will listen to us and hopefully can guide us to what the best way to do that is because that would be our success or failure marker. Makes sense. And that's why uh, these days I feel like where we're at right now with our product, our feedback loop uh, is mostly coming from um, I guess a lot of time th being filtered at least through uh, our sales department. Mm -hmm. So our sales department talking to our devs and they're obviously wanting um, to go with the things that they can pitch, I think. Sure. Which makes sense and it makes sense with where we're at, but I'd really like to get to the point where we have a direct line um, from our user base. And that, that I think is going to be pretty interesting. Do you and think I'm, that'll be in the form of customer service or listening to the owners or even a direct like, uh, help button inside of the yeah, system? Yeah, it's a good question. I think maybe um, if we get to that point, I think something like um, the a dev uh, Twitter account for our okay. company and to just kind of publicly engage with people. Um, and maybe something like a, um, uh, a Slack channel. So oh, interesting. maybe attach, um, use same room and open yeah. up a tube with uh, maybe some customer interaction Kind of, kind oh. of like an open forum, but only for our customers. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, get to speak directly to our developers because I think there's a. I don't know if there's value in that per se, but mm -hmm. I wonder if if there is. Like, does is it healthy? Is it better for everything to be filtered through sales or through management mm -hmm. from the customers, or um, can we be working on uh, on ways to gather and analyze metrics based directly on customer feedback? Yeah, I think that uh, maybe maybe a direct line to the developer might be might work, but I think that a direct line to someone that can is a good troubleshooter, like a QA person, because the developer needs to ask questions about replicating problems, whereas like the QA person's there to ask Abs the questions. Absolutely, but I guess I, I guess I mean it depends on what sort of conversations we have yeah, in yeah. that in that channel. So whether that's um, whether that's sort of quote unquote uh, mm. meant to be a direct line to developers yeah. or whether it's more of a um, give our developers a chance to actually talk to the customers and see what they're doing yeah. and how they're using it. It just gives a different perspective. But like I said, yeah, I don't know. You definitely reduce that, that uh, problem that sometimes happens, like speaking of marketing companies, it happens mm -hmm. where you have a client who wants something and then that need gets filtered through seven people and eventually it turns into a design and development and stuff right. or a feature or a, a user story and it might not translate one-to-one -one with what yeah. the original story was. It gets filtered through and these assumptions and uh, baggage gets it gets added on to that mm -hmm. as it passes from person to person. Right. And then when you finally come around the, the corner and show it to the the client, they're like, what? Yeah. I said blue, not not sky blue or something or, like that. Yeah, or I yeah. said baby blue, not dark blue. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just that small change from person to person. They said, oh, it's like a blue color. And then, it, yeah. oh, it's like a light and blue. And then it and ends then up being red. Yeah, eventually. Or, or it can turn up the opposite sure. of what Sure, so wanted. maybe maybe even it's that. Maybe it's a QA um, or customer support channel, but developers are able to view it. I think or, that's definitely know, like, that. like that type of method, that type of approach is like inherent in agile, which is we need to get as close to the metal as we possibly can. And yeah. when it comes to, uh, finding out what we need to change. So having a direct line between a customer and someone that's literally typing in the function and writing the test for it, mm -hmm. that might actually be awesome and really helpful. I know that at Invoke, we're really trying to make sure that we have that close connection. We're showing them right. every week stuff that's going on. So we don't we want to avoid that problem. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you're trying to do that too, is that you don't want to have this problem go undiscovered for so long just because there's no way to report it. Yeah. That'd be brutal. Like, or someone has to go and look at the logs and decipher what happened. And I think as well, like even if you look at it from say uh, a UI UX sort of point of view, mm -hmm. um, if we have salespeople telling uh, designers 
how customers are using things, then again, there's that there's that proxy that mm. does everything actually get through it. Um, should everything get through it? Is it being filtered the right way, or should we have a direct, you know, have our um, our UX people actually in stores or in locations where people are using our software and watch how they use it and observe it? Spend a half day doing that. I think one of the most obvious examples of sales over user experience is mm -hmm. when you go to like a news site uh, or like you're reading some article because you get an aggressive pop up. Before you get to see the page, this isn't on every site, but some of them, you get an aggressive pop-up as soon as you land on the site. Hey, hey, you enjoy this article? Why don't you try paying for our service or blah, blah, blah. And I know that it's necessary, but I know that every person that has to implement that and and a lot of people encounter that are probably just like, oh my God, this is so annoying. Close it, block it. Where's my ad block? Where's my U block? And they're trying to get rid of that stuff, right? But it's just that balance between what the user needs and what the business needs is like we need people to sign up like we can't have them reading articles before they you know that we can't have them reading articles for free all the time we need mm -hmm. to pitch them in some way but then a the designer is like well that's just going to make them bounce or the analytics will probably show there is a big bounce i know that i i purposely bounce from pages when they do that to me mm -hmm. as soon as it pops up i bounce i'm like okay no <laughs> and I'll try to find another way around if I can. I, I do go back. Mm -hmm. So I'm not I'm not that religious about it. But I do find that uh, I know that that's going to affect their metrics. Mm -hmm. It's like this isn't converting me. It's it's hurting me. Well, converting I guess it, versus hurting. So I guess it depends <laughs> as well. Are you trying to um, are you catering to everybody who hits your, your front page or are you catering to a different area? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I don't know what their um, what their priorities are. So I can't comment on that. But it's interesting. There's actually, um, do I'm a TA at Red, and our, this week we were talking about JavaScript and APIs and like mm -hmm. AJAX. And one of the things I came across in one of the examples uh, of like, uh, we have this lesson that they have to go through every time. And uh, one of the things that I did, because I presented the answer to everyone, and uh, I renamed all the variables. <laughs> uh, Johnny, the other teacher, made this joke. They, I made them like Java methods. So one of the met one of the items was called, uh, it was basically you, you do a call to GitHub. This is using uh, jQuery. You make a get request to GitHub's API. You get a list of your repos as JSON, and you just loop through and show them in the, in the browser, in the body of the HTML document. And so uh, I renamed all the variables inside of the thing to like array of repos or array of nested objects inside of repos or something like that. I gave them these crazy long names because mm -hmm. I found that a lot of people like um, I think we talked about this before or I talked about this with Johnny is that one of his um, one of the people he works with calls everything um, payload. Mm -hmm. So uh, payload. So payload, payload this, payload that. Um, some people might use a, a synonym of like response, uh, like response, this response, that that's when I use res mm -hmm. or response. Uh, some people use data, data, this data, that data, uh -huh. that it's always data. It's always response. I use items all the time. Mm -hmm. Item uh, items and item. Uh, but I found that for beginners, I think that that type of approach really gets them stuck because they don't mm -hmm. know what that is. Right. But when I named these things um, like in a for in an each loop mm -hmm. or in an each function, you have an index and then the value of the index. So I named the index index of item we are iterating over. Mm -hmm. And then I said, I know the name of this variable is this crazy long name. So you you don't you are just by looking at the name, you know you don't need to use that in our in our function because we don't need to we don't care about the index. You already know by looking at the variable name that you don't need that. The next one is the value that we currently are iterating on. Mm -hmm. Oh, I need that. I need the value that we're currently iterating on. So I ended up renaming all the variables in this example to these really crazy Java names, mm -hmm. Java method names or Objective-C method names. And I think that everyone really understood it, but I thought maybe you'd know, like, I mean, with teaching, like taking these tiny short words that maybe feel really concise, mm -hmm. like very vague and verbose, and you can apply your own. Uh, type of meaning to them or going the opposite direction, which is like being so explicit that it's almost impossible to not understand. Yeah. 
I found, um, I mean, I think it's impossible to really be in everybody's perspective at once mm -hmm. currently because we don't have the technology yet, but you know, yeah. maybe a year or two down the road. Maybe in their mind. Yeah, maybe pretty soon. But I do think uh, something that I found, I guess two things that uh, come to mind. One is that um, sometimes when somebody sees a particular uh, way of doing something, like in, in your case, maybe um, querying GitHub and getting uh, a list of all your repos, mm -hmm. um, and they see that, then they want to see it again exactly the same way, with exactly the same variables, with exactly the mm. same thing, because that gives them some sort of comfort. And then they're like, oh, now it, after a few uh, after a few times of seeing the same thing, mm. it becomes predictable, it becomes uh, comfortable to view, and it becomes something recognizable. Right. And then you're like, okay, I'm comfortable enough that I know this. I have a particular expected behavior with these things. And then we start changing them. And then, and I think that really just depends on their understanding of what a variable is, mm -hmm. you know, cause, uh, I remember, um, I can't remember when I think I might've been like in the ninth grade or something, but, um, when people were like variable, this variable, that, and things were changing, I didn't realize what variable meant per se. Yeah. And so I was like, why is this always changing? And like, Oh no, it's just a variable. What does that even mean? Yeah. You know, um, and until you get comfortable enough with it that like, oh, it's just a variable, which just simply means like, it's just it's whatever literally you, it, what you can it change is. that. Yeah. It's just uh, the name that you're giving it that you can assign yeah. anything to. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily clear or obvious because mm -hmm. I think for, um, for somebody just taking a beginner coding class, mm -hmm. um, depending on what their background is, they may or may not be familiar. It's a lot of it's learning new terms. Right? Yeah, so even the, the name that you made, um, what was the name you said? Like uh, index of item. Yeah, uh, index, index of, of the item, current value uh, we're iterating current on. Current value we're iterating on, or index of the current repo we're iterating yeah, on. Exactly. So they might not be familiar with index, repo, yeah. or iterate. Yeah, definitely. You know, like those things are things that I think as a developer, of course you understand those, mm -hmm. but as a non-developer, you might not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely that's definitely true. Uh, I think maybe I'll, I'll I think I'm gonna try like an anecdotal approach of mm -hmm. whenever I'm helping one of the students is just get them to rename all their variables what they think yeah. it is, and maybe that will help them. I'm not sure. I'll see and I'll experiment. I think it's but I think really it might good. Help. I was doing uh, I was doing Saturday review sessions at Code Corps, mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of hard who it's kind of hard to decide who to cater toward. Yeah. So there's there's two big things that happen. One. Um, I initially started doing uh, review sessions because I wanted to review something for people who were maybe getting stuck or falling behind. But what we noticed, and I don't know if this is still true, but one of the things that we noticed was that the people, uh, there weren't, weren't that many people who would fall behind, mm -hmm. um, but they tended up tended to not show up for extra classes for Saturdays mm -hmm. or for, you know, right. extra help sessions. And so the people that would show up would be the keeners who kind of understood everything. They wanted to push to that next level. And so you have this mix, uh, a little bit of people who are generally pretty comfortable, pretty solid. Right. And people who are super solid. Right. So how do you, uh, yet you want to provide a, a refresher course, right? So a question there is, you know, if you go over the exact same thing, then for people, maybe one person might have actually been struggling. Mm -hmm. That's really going to be helpful for them. But it's going to, um, but it might be boring for the people who actually really got it. So then if you go over the same idea, same concept with different uh, variables, if they weren't solid on the concept the first time, they're going to be even less solid on it the second time. Right. Yeah. I, th I think I've seen the approach of like almost splitting the class a little bit, being yeah. like, oh, here's a... Let's go let this side of the class. Let's go over this. The, and you know, if you if you don't understand this, or you're, or not don't understand, but if you're past mm -hmm. it, 
mm-hmm. or you get finished early, I want you to add this extra feature. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't finish it in class, take that extra feature home. So it's you're not saying that they're not necessarily different, mm-hmm. but the person that maybe is a little bit more ahead can get more done in less time. That's really the only difference between the two of them. Absolutely. Hopefully Something I saw that I thought worked really well and I really like um, is some of the students who are ahead mm-hmm. encourage them to lead a review session. Yeah. So that, you know, because they're they're ahead, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're comfortable enough to mentor on the subject they just had. Right. But they probably are pretty close. And so if they get up there and they start doing that, it helps them to really solidify what they're knowing. So they're yeah, exactly. actually getting that advanced class. And then you have a TA or something uh, overseeing it to help them if they get stuck. And then for the people who are struggling, they get that, they get to see exactly where the people who are ahead, quote unquote, are. I also and, think it uh, reveals some thinking because um, yeah. what I did when I did uh, at Red, you have to take a little like a uh, teacher teaching course. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that the guy David told us was um, if you do that approach, like you said, have mm-hmm. one of the students actually show the class. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something in there that all of the students are thinking that you have yeah. uncovered and the student uncovers it. They're saying like, yeah, this thing is actually it feels backwards to me and they switch it. And that was something you didn't think. Like right. maybe that's two arguments and they rename them or whatever mm-hmm. or they switch them or they change take a slightly different approach. And every other student in the class is like, oh, yeah, because they're coming there with like uh-huh. that fresh ignorance in, in the yeah. most like uh, positive way. Mm-hmm. They're coming there with zero baggage. They have never done this before. So they're not thinking in the way that you might be teaching. Right. Um, so that's also an interesting way to do it is if there's one student that really gets it, have them show it because maybe they're maybe they've learned it or they've discovered something or they can communicate it in a different way that maybe gets everyone else on the same page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've seen that approach as well, which is pretty sweet. And I've seen it work too, which I, is cool. I think that's interesting. It's um, it's also something that somewhat mirrors, uh, like say, let, let's talk about how we're gonna um, how we're gonna solve a certain problem or build a certain feature. Mm-hmm. Um, and why don't you spend you know spend the afternoon um, in a group with a couple people? You design that out, and then we'll have like a whiteboard session after or whatever. Or you'll explain the solution that you came up with to the rest of the team, right. and then we can kind of talk about it. It's kind of similar to that, I think, as well. Yeah. So you could structure uh, your company and your meetings based on things like that, where people actually get a chance to learn from each other um, and progress. I think that's a, a really good idea. Um, I wanted to bring up the the subject of the uh, contracts and gerbs right. on YBR Dev, uh, con- jobs and contracts on VanDev, and contracts and jobs on Vancouver uh, Tech Slack.com. Yeah, so they're actually linked, right? Uh, yeah, so we're using sameroom.io, and we have the uh, the different teams linked, so some of the channels are linked. In yeah. that case, I think the, the jobs channel, it really makes... Uh, it, I believe at least maybe people can give their own opinions that it adds some value to have that linked to multiple places. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's a, there's some interesting conversation in there and some interesting questions, and people have different differing opinions on the uh, the intended purpose slash uh, supposed purpose slash real purpose, whatever the purpose of the channel. So should it be um, just links of job postings? Mm-hmm. Should it be a place to have conversations about tons of things? Um, some people have said, you know, I think there was um, at one point there was suddenly an influx of uh, probably like five or so um, developers from Brazil who were looking mm-hmm. for remote work or are interested in coming to Canada. Um, and then some people were like, oh, why don't you go to an immigration channel? Um, which is interesting. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe that is appropriate. Maybe that's uh, some sort of racism. I'm not sure where to where we draw that line. But yeah. I, I think one of the things that uh, we see from kind of natural progressions of things is that we might have an influx or a spike of certain activity, but then things sort of uh, kind of gradually come to a um, a, uh, a stable 
state. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so we're we're kind of seeing like what is what is the intended purpose of it? Some people have brought up really good points, like you know I can look at LinkedIn or you know Craigslist or wherever and get a list of jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Stack Overflow, GitHub. I mean, there's a lot of places that have oh yeah, there's a lot or li lists of jobs as kind of static sites where you don't really comment. But what places can I actually talk to? You know, hundreds of other local developers about you know what should a salary range be, what sort right. of technologies are interesting, um, what am I looking for in a good job, and I think it's uh, it adds that value there. But then, does it cater to everyone? Should it cater to everyone? I don't know. It's that's a tough thing. Mm -hmm. I think for the first thing for the immigration thing, I'm I'm sort of mixed on that because I mm -hmm. can see where it's like maybe the problem for getting a job as an immigrant is not necessarily the job itself. Mm -hmm. It's everything around that, like getting to the country, converting all your money, getting a bank account, getting a SIN number. All I'm not, I'm not even sure what all that stuff is. Perhaps. But and there's people, baggage around that. People tend to love to give advice, I yeah. think, especially unsolicited advice. Maybe they're just looking for a job in, yeah. in Vancouver. And so I think, maybe that is a good place. I think I can see both sides where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'm, you know, there is the jobs channel and there's one and there's lots in there sure. versus it being spread out. Because you're just uh, maybe you're adding to the problem by like. There is. You can just Google Job Post Vancouver and tons of stuff comes up. One of our guests, BC Jobs. Mm -hmm. You can go there and check it out. Right. So there's BC tons. Tech jobs yeah, too. BC Tech Jobs. So there's so mm -hmm. much stuff yeah. out there. Uh, it's just so hard. Are you adding an extra channel? And I mean that in the literal sense. Are you adding a new channel or mm -hmm. are you adding a more specific niche channel that maybe caters maybe better? Right. Or there's someone in there that maybe recently immigrated that can help you mm -hmm. uh, in whatever way that might be. Well, that's one particular thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Thing. So what about the the net of jobs or this or that? Um, and so then the, there was a, a proposal of what if there was a static website that had all of the jobs? Mm -hmm. uh, and then someone was like, oh, okay, that might be great. Um, but then another person was like, oh, why don't you just create a, a Slack bot that does that for you? Um, and I'm not sure that it, it's kind of interesting that um, people who there, there's maybe three or four people I, like of the hundreds of people in there. Yeah. There's maybe three or four people who said, oh, I just want a list of jobs. Now, what their purpose is, it might be because they're a recruiter. Right. You know, it might be because they want to post a job and they're interested in seeing what's going on. But are those really the types of people that that channel should be catering toward? Just because they're the the noisiest or the most anti conversation yeah. in that channel, right? Um, or on the other hand, does that represent the the user base? And who cares? Which way should it go? So then, the, then I thought the I thought the bot idea was really interesting, mm -hmm. but how should it work? So maybe um, when you post a job posting, mm -hmm. you could have a, you know job. So job underscore posting colon yeah. or so, something like that, and then yeah. whatever comes after that, or maybe there's a certain way to format it, and it takes that as a string, prints it to um, maybe the GitHub repo in a README doc, sure, um, and then it posts that, and whenever you type in um, you know current jobs or something like that, mm -hmm. then the Slack bot posts uh, a list of those current jobs, and it just reads from that README. So then you have yeah. a static site available somewhere, but you also have a bot that could just post it. Um, either periodically or whatever inside. And I think that would be a really good and reasonable approach. Yeah, um, definitely. On the other hand, you know, anybody who says that's a good idea or a good solution could go and build that. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? Like if it's so great, like yeah. where it, is it? <laughs> so exactly, I mean, it's, yeah. that reminds me of uh, whenever you're on a GitHub repo and mm -hmm. uh, you see someone asking for a feature and then the answer is PR's welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's that's kind of what I did. I thought, you know, um, I'm slammed this weekend sure. and this week and next week 
we've got release release date scheduled. We're working overtime, and right. by overtime, I mean like you know extra days. We're working Monday. We're working Sunday. We're working oh, Saturday. Wow. Yeah, you know, uh, depending on who we are. But oh, it, yeah. like we've got things to do. We definitely have things that we have to do. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, boom. Here's here's a repo. You know, here's a readme. That's the simplest way. Just link to that. And then you can see that we can get it up and done right now. Mm. You want to add a job? Sure. Go ahead and do a pull request on the readme. You know what? I'll make you a, uh, an, admin. Um, an yeah. admin for yeah. that repo. Sure. You can, you can take care of that. Um, but no, we want a, we want a bot that does it. Sure. Then let's, let's get that. Um, I think it's a good idea, but mm. I don't have time to build it. Yeah, right, I definitely right think I could and see. And it might only be a couple I mean, hours. maybe this is a premature optimization, but I think there's like, there's like, okay, well, when does the list get refreshed? Yeah. Like, when does one of these expire? Right. Um, what happens if, uh, is someone, are you posting on other people's behalf? Do you have to be an owner of the company? Mm-hmm. There's all this stuff. And at the end of the day, aren't you just recreating like BC tech jobs at that point? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, it's, I'm wondering where the, well, are you, are you doing that? What I said, like making mm-hmm. another channel, like that's just more surface area for more jobs to be posted. Yeah. I think yeah. I think a good way personally, um, and I'd love any feedback on this, maybe from you, James, or anyone mm-hmm. else. Uh, I think a, a pretty good way would be um, to have to have that job posting, you know, uh, and have a list that is uh, updated weekly. So you only have a, you only have it persist for a week, mm-hmm. um, and then one of the benefits to that, something that makes it quite different, I think, from uh, from BC Jobs or from any of these other sites, is that uh, this isn't a job posting site, right? It's not, and it's not catering toward people who are posting jobs. It's not catering toward um, uh, recruiters. It's right. for developers, right? It's for the developer community, and so right. we happen to have, be able to have those. But we want to be able to talk about these jobs, right? And so, let's say I have a job offer and I post it, and somebody else says, "You know what? You guys suck. I hate Granville Island. Angular <laughs> is lame." You yeah. Know, well, let's let's have that conversation. Sure. Right. In then the Angular can, channel. <laughs> right? No, even in the contracts. <laughs> oh, you jobs, think so? I okay. Think that's fine. Somebody can bring that up, and we can have that conversation about sure. it. Sure. But okay. But that's another thing. I'm not. I'm not the dictator of what is right for that channel. Yeah. You know sure. I, mean? I think the community comes together and decides that. I think they're pretty good at self policing too. Like there'll be times when people are having crazy conversations. That uh, I think there was a there was a an episode in mm-hmm. the general channel. Uh, where people were arguing about um, like Uber or something, right? Um, and then people said, "Hey, can you move this to like a different channel? Because like mm-hmm. the general channel is every single person in the Slack. That's almost a thousand people. They're mm-hmm. getting pinged. Their their Slack's going off, saying, mm-hmm. you know, there's all this general noise. I think I don't know. I'm not sure. It's I think it's when if someone if there's enough people that say like, okay, you know, let's let's move this away. Mm-hmm. Like I think that one person usually represents a hundred people behind the scene that are that don't want to say something. I don't so, know. Maybe I, I think know. that it'd be an interesting metric to know. Uh, I often wonder is um, is the person who uh, who points it out correct or not? Yeah, you know, like it's they, really could, hard they, to could, say. they might just represent one person, right? And suddenly there, a change happens because yeah. they were the one person. That maybe they're at a movie speak. and their phone is going off. Quiet. Yeah. yeah, but um, everyone else is just not doing that, so they don't care. I don't know. Yeah, so it's entirely possible. And maybe nobody would have noticed the phone going off until somebody said "quiet," actually being the person. That sure. Was noisy yeah, absolutely. Other people. I don't I know. know. It's a tough thing. I think with like, um, I'm not sure if there are many other. Um, I mean, I, I haven't been a part of a bigger Slack other mm-hmm. than there's a Lara Chat Slack which has like 10,000 people in it, yeah. but I can barely even use it because it's so slow. There's so many people. Right. Um, but I wonder how they police or not police, but how they conduct their community or what they sort of do. I know that 
the community guideline thing is a is a bit of like a argumentative for some people or it's it's neither good nor bad it's sort of this there's there's varying opinions on that but uh it's interesting to know i, I don't know when you kind of like decide that stuff it's really difficult that's really difficult uh, especially when it's like you know this isn't a problem with just slack like it to to well, yeah, I, I wonder, like, it's outside of the world too. You know, at your job, at your, so at your company. I think there's an interesting question. Um, if you look at something like like a uh, grammar, mm. and we say, you know, uh, I be Drew, and somebody might say, oh, that's that's uh, ungrammatical, mm. and I could say, well, no, it's perfectly grammatical. Look yeah. at look at the way that the sentence is formed. Yeah. You know, I have a subject, I have a verb. It's fine, <laughs> um, but. And you could argue it both ways. And I think from a grammarian's point of view or a grammar teacher, you'd want to say, you know, am is the word that we use conventionally in uh, standard American English. Mm-hmm. And I might say, well, we're in Canada. We don't use standard American English. And Canadian. Right. Yeah. Um, but then somebody from a linguistics point of view might look at, might actually analyze the sentence and say it is grammatical. So where do we, where do we stand on that? I, I've heard actually to, to dive deeper into grammar and words, I've mm-hmm. heard um, people complain or I've heard a complaint about the word forte. Mm-hmm. Forte is originally supposed to be pronounced fort. Mm-hmm. That was the original pronunciation. Supposed to, by whom? So exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. So is the word uh, is the word a new word mm-hmm. or is the word the old word or what does it change? I think there's things that are made up like iPhone. Mm-hmm. So that every, everything, made up word? everything's made up. Yeah. And so the point that I was getting to was... Um, do we say that this is this is this way because it was supposed to be that way? It was intended to be this way. Um, the creator originated it like that. Mm. If it's difficult or if it's something that you know needs to be enforced, I need to hit you on the hand with a, a yardstick so you remember this. Mm. Then maybe that's not really the natural way that it should be used. And sure. I think the same thing's true with any sort of channel uh, or any sort of group. If I say this is how it should be, but it, it's painful for people to use it that way and it's hard to get them to use it that way, then maybe we should be listening to the users and see mm-hmm. what they're doing and evolve and move with that. Oh, we're definitely coming full circle now because that sort of leads into what I what I was talking about for the pop-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, is this aggressive pop-up mm-hmm. and the increased bounce rate worth the pain? Is that something we measure? But right. there is an idea of like, okay, let's actually look at that and see if it's worth it. Right. Like, what is it worth? Do we Are we getting benefits or are we getting, you know, like just negatives from it? Mm-hmm. What are the pros and cons of each situation? I think the problem is once you go down one road, it's always hindsight that allows you to like reflect and change. Yeah. It's not, it's sometimes it's too late. Sometimes, you know, it's way too late mm-hmm. and it's really, it's, it's broken the way that you tried to fix it. You broke it. So, um, that's unfortunate. I'm not really sure. Like maybe there's some, maybe there's someone out there who has a, I know that there's some companies that have like uh, companies with large GitHub repos. They mm-hmm. have like community managers, like mm-hmm. open source community managers who actually can, are actually you know experts as much as they can be in mm-hmm. managing a community a large community and a large project mm-hmm. maybe that's uh maybe that's maybe we need to take some insight into that type of approach and see if there's maybe some little tricks or hacks that we can steal from that and apply them in ways that make sense to our community well we often we often get in open source communities that um uh benevolent dictator for life sort of rule <laughs> role uh and i wonder if that has to be there i think that's the interesting question does right. there have to be I think so many things in our society have been built around uh, particularly a male dominant figure mm-hmm. um, that dictates everything. Right. And I, I think that that's something that as we're getting more access to information, more ability to act and interact with it, more ability to anybody can make their own repo and make their own open source project, start their own company, have their own YouTube channel, make their own television show, mm-hmm. um, make the next Facebook, do whatever they want mm-hmm. right now. So 
if everybody's on this equal ground, are we able to have people act and interact as equals in a in an equal sort of sort of way? This is an interesting thing, and that was um, for me anyway. Has that was kind of the only point of contention that I had with any sort of self-regulating um, or any sort of group that has self-elected uh, group of people mm. controlling it. Um, and that's that's kind of my anti-authority uh, sure. sort of stance as well. I, pr- I would prefer that everybody uh, had an equal chance to decide the color of the bike shed. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's argue about the color first yeah. before we argue about the size and shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, that brings me to an interesting other point that I want to bring up is that if anybody wants to go to an advanced screening of the new Snowden movie coming out, oh, yeah. uh, Hacker Nest hooked us up. Thank you very much, Hacker Nest, with some uh, free tickets to give away. This is happening September 12th at 7 p.m. at the Scotiabank Theater. Um, there'll be some info down below for how you can get a hold of us. But I have uh, I have a number of um, double passes to give out to some people. So let us know. Uh, oh, that's awesome. And uh, we'll hook you up. That's pretty good, too. That's, um, what's his name? Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it looks cool. like it's going to be really good. And this is uh, a few days before the movie officially comes out. Yeah. So that should be pretty awesome. Awesome. Did yeah. you see the documentary about him? No, I didn't. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, it was it was good. But this is a Hollywood movie. Oh, it's yeah. It's be better than a documentary. Yeah. No, Action, <laughs> explosions, <laughs> yeah. better um, music, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll put the links to that stuff as well. All right, so it looks like it's time for meetups around town. All right, lots of meetups. So, how was your week last week in meetups, James? What did you get out to? Oh, I went to the best meetup around town, the best meetup around town ever, Hackerness. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. That was pretty awesome. I forgot that was last week. So much has happened. It seems yeah. like it was a month ago already, but that was um, that was really fun. There was, I think, the biggest turnout we've had in an August. I wasn't expecting to get that many. I remember, I think around. I think last year, mm-hmm. like November, when we first talked about starting the podcast, yeah. our the meetup w- or the hackerness was at Brain Station. I That's remember right, being it was. way yeah, smaller. It, it only took mm. up like half that room, right. that front part. But now it was like completely packed, yeah. almost fully to the back. Yeah. I was like, wad- like trying to guide my way through people. It was packed, squeezing yeah. through. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. Definitely. I noticed there was a new beer selection too. There was this time we went with um what was it Postmark breweries yeah, yeah. and so a couple uh, different Senny kinds. from Postmark hooked us up with that thank That's you Senny cool. and that was that was pretty interesting yeah yeah definitely like there's definitely a nice variety of stuff as well as there was like I think some uh, ciders and stuff like that as well or mm-hmm. uh, whatever they're called Paul Bay. rattlers yeah <laughs> rattler ciders yeah but I think that was it for me I had a obviously a TA uh, I mentioned the TA stuff that I did at Red so that took up a nice chunk of Wednesday. Nice. But yeah, that was fun. Sounds pretty awesome. So I didn't actually make it out to anything other than uh, Hacker Nest and work. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. Pretty busy week. Uh, we got some deadlines coming up next week. Nice. All right. So Monday is Labor Day. So we don't really have anything happening on Monday. But Tuesday the 6th, what's happening? All right. We have the financial technology meetup. Yeah. This looks like it's a pretty, um, a pretty consistent meetup every Tuesday. It's over at Voleo Inc., the 12th floor, 1140 West Pender at 530. Would you bring a me- uh, laptop to this? I think so. Oh, no, it's like a Jeopardy thing. I'm asking so you, maybe James. No. Would you personally? I would not. You wouldn't? Okay. No. Why not? I guess I could cheat for this Jeopardy thing, <laughs> but uh, I don't think so. I think it's more of a discussion. It's an introduction as well, and it's about people ready to take this uh, this test, the CSC test. Okay, yeah. So it does say a weekly in-depth introduction to securities industry as well as for people who are preparing to take the CSC. So I don't know uh, what the average uh, class 
looks like today if you go to a, a class and take something to study. Mm -hmm. But I can't imagine not having a laptop at any class. Like, how are you going to take notes? Right. You know, right. I, I don't know if that's the if that's the case anywhere. But if you are studying for something, for me, I would definitely bring a laptop. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But that's me. All right. And another one, a cool one. One we mentioned at Hackernest, actually. Mm -hmm. The Ethereum meetup. Oh, we decided to talk about this. Okay, that's uh, interesting. Is this a tech meetup? Is it a, uh, uh, I guess, alternative currency meetup? Maybe a, maybe a little bit of both. So the weekly Ethereum meetup, what is up with this? So I don't really know much about Ethereum itself. I actually had a friend that worked there. He was like a math genius and he like moved to Sweden and stuff and worked mm -hmm. with the guy who made it. But Ethereum is like this platform for building um, contracts. Yeah. Um, like the way that the blockchain works and the way that Bitcoin works is they have this public ledger. As far as I understand, Ethereum is like a system for you to make these public ledgers. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, I think it's deeply ingrained in technology. It wouldn't exist unless you had all these, you know, advancements in cryptography and in publicly available data, big data, all this type of stuff. So it's definitely something to check out. Um, I know they have a, def a platform and it's growing quite a bit. So, so this is 5.30 to 8.30 on Tuesday over at Decentral, 436 West Pender. Um, and it does say here, this is going to be the first of several of the Ethereum workshops. Mm -hmm. We'll be going through the overall available tour, tools and gotchas for setting up to write your own smart contracts. I'd definitely bring a laptop to that. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like it should be a lot of fun if you're interested in Ethereum. Cool. All right. Vancouver Closure. So, yeah, another uh, very steady weekly meetup yep. is happening at 6 p.m. over at CodeCore 142 West Pender. Bring your laptop. Be ready to hack on some closure. Cool. Polyglot Vancouver. So they're having their social this week. It's on Tuesday from 6 p.m. But if you're a little late, it might be all right as well. Uh, I think they tend to go till about 9 or 10. Yep. Um, depending. Maybe there's some hardcores that are going to be there till close. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Closing it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it should be a lot of fun over at the St. Regis. I wouldn't worry about bringing your laptop to that. But if you do, uh, make sure to find a good place for it, like on your back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is a new meetup. It's called the Code Collab. Oh, yeah, the Code Collab. Uh, Grind and Gallery Cafe. This is 4124 Main Street. Where is that? Yeah, it's it's a south, just south of Mount Pleasant. So it is quite a bit farther. It's right on the edge of the city of Vancouver. So, But it is a really cool meetup. It's something I just found on a whim. It's Tuesday. It starts at 7, so it is a quite a bit later, which is always nice for people that maybe can't make it to things straight after work. But the idea is that they're going to be, at least for this meetup, they're going to be visiting using GIST via GitHub to share and collaborate. So they're talking about sharing code, the code collab. So they have these five and ten minute presentation for people to share a project, a problem, or something like that. I'm surprised then, you said um, you said GIST and not GIST. Don't you say GIF? I say GIF. There you I go. do say GIF. And you, but you don't say GIST. I've I'm actually confused about <laughs> GIST versus GIST. Really? I've said GIST and someone okay. corrected me to GIST. Yeah, it's GIST. Uh, so yeah, but uh, basically they're basically just talking about ways to share their code and stuff like that. I guess if you have a problem or a a project that you want to plug or get help with, this would mm -hmm. probably be a cool thing to check out. So what is it? Co uh, code collab, discuss and collaborate is just uh, collaborating on code. Yeah, essentially, there. This is a brand new meetup. It's their yeah. first one, so I think we'll definitely see some more coming up in the future and seeing what they're. Sounds about. like a lot of fun. They have a really cool background on their meetup page as well. And uh, if you live around that area, or you have a bicycle, or you just want to go there, sure, and it'd be an awesome place to go. I think it looks like it'll be a lot of fun. Cool. Would you bring a laptop to the Code Collab? I would. I would too, unless you yeah. want to uh, contribute to uh, gists on GitHub with pen and paper, which I don't know. Maybe if you you're bringing a friend and you're co-coding on Colab. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. 
All right, so Wednesday the 7th, what's happening? The Vancouver Linux desktop meetup. All right, that's at 4.30 over at Decentral. Would you bring a laptop to that? Yes. Yes. Maybe even your favorite distro on a USB or something like that as well. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Or maybe you already have it installed and you just want to talk about Linux stuff. Yeah, or maybe you need to mob probe some drivers because you couldn't get something to work. That sounds like <laughs> the 90s. Yeah, that's how I, that's how I started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, so the Pluralsight Study Group, also they are happening on Wednesday uh, over at PNI Digital Offices, 100 425 Carroll Street. Make sure to bring a laptop to this one and hopefully a Pluralsight um, membership. So this one, they're doing a, uh, a quick start to JavaScript. So if you're interested in getting a quick start uh, to JavaScript, this might be a meetup for you. All right, now our first meetup on Thursday. And another weekly meetup that we have, the DDD CQRS ES Practitioners Meetup over at Decentral, 436 West Pender, from 4.30 to 7. Make sure to bring a laptop to that and be ready to talk about DDD, CQRS, and ES. I'm actually going to add something. Would you bring a friend to this meetup? Um, I would de I would bring a friend. I would recommend it to a friend. I would tell. I would bring my mom to this meetup. Whoa, okay, cool. Uh, anybody, I think, who's uh, in tech and wants to talk about uh, domain-driven design, about uh, CQRS or event storming, event sourcing. sourcing. Yeah. Giver. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One of my favorite ones, the public cloud user group meetup. Yeah. This is also an awesome uh, meetup. So this is going to be over at CodeCore 142 West Hastings from 6 to 730. This one, every time uh, every time that we have the public cloud user group, there's a different theme. Yeah. I think that really brings uh, some style and flair to this. And Absolutely. It's interesting themes every time. It's uh, If you haven't been before and you're interested in anything cloud-related, make sure to make it to this meetup because it's kind of a, a monthly meetup of what happened in the cloud. I don't yeah. think it happened last month, did it? I don't remember it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yeah. for a while, it seems. But uh, really looking forward to this one. This is the Rio Olympics cloud. So we're going to have, uh, it says here, Two great speakers for this event who will focus on the real world connecting to the cloud. Cool. Nice. Awesome. Then the Learn Data Science group. Yeah, this is over at CBRE, the 25th floor of 1021 West Hastings from 630 to 830. I would definitely bring a laptop to this personally, but this is going to be um, the Kaggle competitions. So mm -hmm. detect distracted drivers. Cool. And I'm not sure how you're going to detect distracted drivers and do Kaggle competitions without a laptop. So definitely make Yeah, do that. Do that. Cool. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun, though. And now we have one for Friday. Oh, yeah. Friday. So Friday the 9th from 2 p.m. to 3.30. This isn't a lunch and learn, but this is an afternoon thing. Yeah, definitely. What's it's at on? Decentral. So this is actually a meetup group that I hadn't noticed before, but Decentral has its own meetup group mm -hmm. where they post a lot of the stuff that's happening at Decentral. Oh, okay. Uh, there's almost something every day, mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, and this is one that I thought was kind of interesting just to go with the Ethereum meetup we mentioned before. This one's called Block Talk, QA with Greg, Cineros Chief Science Officer. Cool. So Decentral is a pretty interesting place. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I've heard that uh, it's some co-working space and every member pays a monthly fee and that monthly fee goes down as members increase. Awesome. So I think it was something like $90 when they had whatever people and then I don't know how much it'll be next time. Yeah, it's a good referral program. Yeah, it's kind of really interesting and it's a really cool space. Uh, I know Adam has a bunch of meetups there. Oh, yeah. um, they have some really, really good resources, I think, and just some some very interesting people to interact with as well and a very creative uh, and, and cool space. Yeah, we have one more, but it's on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. This looks really cool. Uh, so it is it is a free workshop, but they are working from an $80 Arduino kit. I didn't see any post to the actual kit that they were talking about. And I did a little bit of a search uh, on uh, on Amazon and then I searched Lee's Hardware 
and it looks like there's uh, an Amazon starter kit, or sorry, Arduino starter kit for something like 110 to 140, um, and I'm not sure which one they actually had, so maybe reach out to the organizers if you're interested, but this is the Robots and More Club, mm-hmm. and it looks like there's a th- uh, two-hour session on um, kind of getting electronics and Arduino programming 101 is what it's called. So it does say here, bring your own laptop with the power supply. So make sure to bring your power supply. Uh, For more learning time, please have Arduino software already installed. And there's a link to that. And then eat first or bring a snack. Um, So the cost, it does say they'll be working from the Arduino starter kit, which includes an Arduino and a number of parts to get you started, $80. So I'm not sure if that's actually available there. Or if it's uh, not, there's no link to that. So if you do join, reach out to the uh, the organizer and find out. Yeah. Um, I actually but- have one of these kits already. I just haven't really played with it. So this might be a cool place to go and, and actually play with the kit since I've already spent the 80 bucks to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where did you get yours, James? Uh, I got it on uh, Adafruit. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think this would be a really good, it looks like a really good group and a really good place to get started if you if you haven't jumped on the Arduino bandwagon. All right. That's cool. And it looks like that's it for our meetups around town. Now, this week, James, is the long weekend. It's Labor Day, and we're not having, we don't have a guest this week, but guess what? What? We can have a special interview with James to Doyle. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.